kind of what my mind's been on this morning. Kind of funny how the Lord works and brings me to uh, things to speak on. Started in Ezekiel this morning, somehow found my way into Second Corinthians. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, we desire to hear from him, not from me, right? Second or Second Corinthians chapter one. I'd like to pick up in verse eighteen where I'd like to start reading. And I'm going to read down to uh, verse 22. And I'm mainly going to look here at some of the spiritual implications that we find in these passages. Uh, as always, you know, I I can get up here and I can give a history lesson, you know, about what all's taking place, where Paul's at, where Paul's going, and who's Paul talking to, and all this and that, and you guys surely can read all that. Of course, you can read anything, but Holy Spirit's our teacher, so I'm not here to teach you anything new. I'm only here to confirm things to be the truth if the Lord gives me to speak truth. However, um, I always am compelled to uh, go beyond those things that are just natural and uh dive into those things which are spiritual. Uh, We're here as the spiritual kingdom of God to learn about the way that the kingdom is operating and most importantly, the king of the kingdom. And that's our main objective in our gathering is to worship the king. We just spoke of worthy is the lamb. And uh, that's basically what our meetings are here for. These are not evangelistic meetings where we're trying to get people saved. These are meetings of people who have been saved, who the Lord has gathered, and the Lord is teaching by His Spirit. And that uh, any of us men who stand up and deliver God's Word, uh, if we're given to speak truth, uh, we can never impart knowledge, we can never impart understanding, we can never make it clear, no matter how clear we might speak, we are dependent upon the Lord Jesus and His Spirit that is in us to teach us and to lead us into all truth, to confirm to us that what is being said by the man speaking, whether it's true or not, you know. Uh, I know a lot of men who are very articulate, who are very academic, who can come into the Word and break down all the stuff that's in here and give you all the verb tenses and give you all the you know, whatever on these things, and they can speak to the letter of everything, but they completely miss the spirit of it all. Uh, They have the letter of it. They may even have somewhat the context of it, but they miss the spirit of the teaching of all of Scripture. They miss Christ in all of it, and they forget the fact that we are completely and totally in this flesh, unable to do anything that's pleasing to the Lord or anything that can lift ourselves up into the spiritual realm and do anything spiritually, that all that is by the king of the kingdom. It is he that does everything as the spirit realm is concerned. So our spiritual fellowship is all because of Christ. 
and is all held together and is working. The only way that we are fellowshipping together this morning, communing with one another, is by the Spirit of God who meets among us and who brings the unity of the Spirit and brings the unity of the faith. We are all here, and every one of us have our understandings of Scripture as the Spirit has taught us. Every one of us here has a mind on whatever is to be said because the Spirit has brought us to this point. We are all beholden to God for everything in our life as it pertains to spiritual matters. We can do nothing because there is no spiritual work that we can perform. And I hear a lot of people all the time criticize us because we are just resting on our laurels, waiting on Christ to do something. And when God has given us everything that we need to do, we just got to get up and get out and start doing it. Well, brethren, if God doesn't motivate us, if God doesn't give us the will to do, if God doesn't give us the doing aspect of it, then we are not going to do it. For me to even want to do it, that's the will, right? He's got to give me that. But here's the thing, and I, and I meant to get to this maybe later, but Spirit seems to be one get out at the beginning. For me to will and to do is of God. So that means every part of it, me actually coming up with the thought, coming up with the desire, coming up with the unction for it, to get up and go to do it, that's by God. So whenever we talk about waiting upon the Lord, whenever we talk about um, service to the Lord and all the admonitions that the Bible gives us to do, we are beholden to God to give us the unction to do. We are beholden to God to give us the desire to do. Much less any doing on our part, actual physical activity. It isn't just us mystically sitting back waiting to be mystically moved, although that's kind of true to some degree. If I do this or do that, the this and that was willed and done because it was God in me doing it. If God says do this and I don't do that, it's because God didn't give me the will to do. If I do this, say, some admonition in Scripture, it is because God worked in me to will to do that. He gives me the desire to want to do that. He gives me the desire to carry that out. And then he gives me the ability to carry those things out. So, brother, we, we're not against admonitions. We're not against doing things and, and, and stuff like that. However, we realize that none of it, for one, is for righteousness. None of it is for acceptance with God or keeping with God or even proving who we are. Because nothing on the outward is of any assurity. Because anybody can mimic religious activity. <laughs> Take every admonition in Scripture and any lost person that's out there, well, any reprobate that's out there, I shouldn't use the word lost because that only pertains to the sheep. Any person that's out there that is a reprobate can, in religious zealousness, mimic the things of Scripture. So, brethren, we are beholden to God for every. Thing. Now, I say that, and I was going to say that <coughs> at the end, but for 
some reason the Spirit wanted it at the first. I say that because whenever I look at these verses in front of us this morning, I see that there is a promise that God is going to do every bit of salvation, and that includes my experiential walk in salvation, that God is going to perform that for me. I trust and look to God who has given me all the precious promises, who has given me all the things that have that I have need of, that has given me everything that is expected of me, that is everything that has been ordained of me, that it has not left anything up to me to carry out in my own desire, in my own unction, in my own get up and go-ness, however you want to put that. He's not left it to me to accomplish something so that something else might be done. Nothing is being thwarted, nothing is being sped up, nothing is being advanced, nothing is being detracted. Everything is moving according to God's purpose exactly the way God wants it to be done, and He has promised to accomplish all of His purposes. He has promised, he has promised to accomplish all of His purposes in me for the vessel that He's created for the purpose that He's created. All of my habitation, the Bible says, God has formed and created my habitation. And he and everything in that habitation has ordained for his purposes and to those ends I will walk in those things. I will accomplish everything that God has created me for. No more, no less. So there isn't this notion that as we begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, there is no none of this notion that these things of God are not being accomplished because of our laziness or because of our uh, uh, complacentness, complacency, complacency, complacentness. The Democrats would say complacentness. The smart people would say complacency. So, anyway, I digress. Everything that God has for us in the experiential part of our salvation is just as sure as in the legal part of our salvation. Now, not one of us here, I would ever imagine, would have any doubts on what Christ actually accomplished would ever be could be called into, in, in, into doubt, right? I mean, Christ kept the law perfectly, didn't he? The Bible says that he imputed that righteousness to us, right? The Bible says that we've been forgiven of sins, that we've been justified before God, that we've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that He that He loves us with an everlasting love. The Bible says that, that we will not perish, that we uh, will not be under wrath. I mean, all these promises God has given to His people and that legality part of salvation, Christ is our surety in that aspect, none of us in any place, I don't think, would even doubt the validity of that or the even would even think that any of that could fall apart or not take place. Well, brethren, do we look to our experiential learning of our salvation, believing upon that salvation, walking in that salvation? Do we any less believe that that is as sure? I mean, 
to me, it, that's as sure as the legality part. Why? Because God promised that. God promised that we would walk and be in every work that He has ordained. He has promised that He would keep us and He would that He would preserve us and that He would work in us and that He would do this and perform it. See, our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in the arm of flesh. We never look to the arm of flesh to get up and go. We never look to the arm of the flesh to make the plan and do it. We don't even look, make, look to the flesh to look at the admonitions of the Bible and say, here's my list, now I've got to get after it. <coughs> That's not to say don't look at your Bible, don't listen to the admonitions, and don't feel led to go do those things. I am not saying that, but that's what people say we're saying whenever we say that. (coughs) What we are saying is we know where the source comes from, and we know that the end of it all is going to be exactly as God has determined. (coughs) I am going to know more... do more works than God has ordained for me, and I'm not going to do any less works than God has ordained for me. Why? Because every work God has ordained, and He has promised to make sure that His purpose shall stand. Now, you don't have to have my promise. You don't have to have my solidarity, my constitution, to make sure that God's purposes is going to stand. You don't have to have the person's ingenuity, grammar, and Greek and Hebrew capabilities of Scripture to know that this is imperative and this is not imperative and this is passive and this is not passive. This is something that God does to you. This is something that you have to do. Listen, brethren, if there is ever an imperative in Scripture... That imperative cannot be accomplished in us if God doesn't do it. So whether it's an imperative or not, all the imperatives of Scripture does is to show condemnation of our flesh that we cannot keep up what God wants us to do because in the flesh, I don't want to do that. So every imperative, just because it's an imperative, doesn't mean that we can just look at it and say, oh, that's what i got to do. Well, I better get to doing it. And then I get out there and I'll be obedient. I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful. In... That, now, is that not the desire of our hearts? Absolutely, that's the desire of my hearts. I desire to be faithful to the Lord. I desire to do what God's Word tells me to do. I want to do only what God's Word says. And I want to... To let this be my only rule of faith. But brethren, the contradiction comes when the flesh says, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. The Spirit says, you can't do that. That's where the contradiction comes. So if the, if, if the truth of Scripture says my flesh cannot do it and will not do it and will not ever be accepted even if it could do it, but yet my inner man is perfect and righteous and holy and desires that righteousness, (laughs) desires that purity, desires that obedience, desires those things that the Scripture uh, 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 gives to us, then that man there, it can't sin, it can't do anything against it, but that man is serving the law of God in the very fact that it is from God. 
my inward man is from God and is perfect and righteous and that desire to do those things is in fact keeping the law of God. Why? Because the flesh profits nothing. Even if I were to get up and go with my unction and follow these things of Scripture, guess what? The Bible says they're filthy rags because they are works of iniquity. All of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. So brethren, it is all of God. It's all of Christ Jesus. Now, what does that have to do with what we're seeing here? Well, look if you would with me at verse 18. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, But as God is true... Our word toward you was not yea and nay. Now, what what is Paul talking about here? Now, again, I'm not. I don't want to get into the history and all that kind of stuff. But Paul here is talking to the Corinthians in the fact that now he's already mentioned something about him coming to them and that he had promised that he would come to them, but he's going over into Macedonia and then he's going to come back, and he didn't want them thinking that he was wishy washy and not. Doing what he said, so he mentioned something about his word not being nay, being yay yay and nay nay, meaning that don't think that I'm wishy washy. Hey, was our gospel wishy washy to you when we came with our gospel? No. Well, if our gospel isn't wishy washy with a, a yay and nay, then you know whatever I say to you, you know I mean whatever I say. However, we know that God controls all things and controls our steps. Okay, so it's not that I'm being disingenuous in what I'm saying. But in verse 18, we see that it moves from talking about him and his uh, his word to them about coming to them to preaching the gospel, the message that they have delivered to them. It says, but as God is true, so he's, so he's calling upon the validity of God. He's calling upon uh, God himself as the witness to what Paul is saying. As God is true... And we know that God is true, right? God is true. He cannot lie. There is nothing false about God whatsoever. So Paul is saying, as much as it is true that God is true, what I'm telling you and what we've preached to you is not yea and nay. Now a lot of people get hung up on what does this mean. Our preaching to you, our message to you, our gospel to you was not yea and and nay, it is not a yes and no. It is not a take it or leave it. It is not a this or that. It is not a gray area. It is something that is sure. <laughs> something that is not yay and nay, that is something that's just left up to whoever. You know, if I if, if I came to Larry and I said, uh, "Hey, Larry, do you like cucumbers?" He said, "Ah, they're all right. I can take them or leave them." That's yay and nay. I'm undecided. It don't matter. There's nothing solid here. I can eat cucumbers if you put them in front of me. If not, I could go the rest of my life not eating a cucumber. I'm all right with that. I hate cucumbers. <laughs> it's a nay. It's a nay. It's a nay all the way. <laughs> Paul is saying here, whenever we come to you, we were sure. We were firm. We were direct. Everything that we preach to you was was solid. It wasn't just left up to opinion. 
we preached it, we delivered it, we stood on it, we were firm on it, we're, we continue to be firm on it, and this isn't a gospel that is a take it or leave it gospel. This isn't a you just choose what you want to think about it gospel. No, God has delivered the faith once to the saints. That faith is being perpetuated in every generation by the Lord's people whenever they gather together in, 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 uh, in a congregation, in a gathering like this, or in an assembly like this. God continues to perpetuate <laughs> that truth. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Listen, I know that, that the Lord speaks to us even whenever we're not gathered and everything like that. But the Bible says that, that there is a special uh, 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 meeting that God does whenever the church comes together in a gathered place. He promises He's present there. When two or three are gathered in my name, He promises to be there with us. That He has called us together and that in that gathering God has placed the faith once delivered. And He has placed the preaching of that and the teaching of that and the exhortation of that and the admonition of that. He's placed the edification that comes from sitting around like we are today talking about the things that Christ has done for us. And we are built up in the most holy faith because we are gathered together. And it doesn't have to be some sophistry. It doesn't have to be some uh, uh, religious uh, ritual. It doesn't have to be the word we've kind of been hearing and li- saying a lot lately is liturgy. It doesn't have to be a lot of that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be any set pattern. We kind of have a semi-set pattern here. Maybe it just goes I'm kind of a creature of habit more than anything. But I'm not tied to it. If the Spirit leads in one direction or another, let's follow where the Spirit leads. But again, <clears throat> the Gospel though is not just leave it up to whatever. Paul said this gospel is a firm and straight and true and this gospel doesn't deviate. Listen, brother, that is why we do not associate with people that are not like us in the faith. We don't hold hands with the churches in town that preach another gospel. And whenever I say preach another gospel, I'm not talking about Hindu. I'm not talking about Muslim. I'm not talking about Catholic. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, whatever... you know, other world religion that's out there. I'm talking about even against underneath the umbrella of Christianity, we don't hold hands if they preach a gospel that is contrary to the sovereign grace gospel of Jesus Christ alone and God's sovereign bestowal of that salvation on those whom He has chosen. If, if it's not that, then we don't hold hands with that. Any other gospel... <laughs> Or anybody who is saying a gospel that can communicate and, and commune with people that don't believe that, that's a yay and nay gospel. I've heard preachers that claim to be believers of sovereign grace. Matter of fact, we visited one whenever we were looking for a church before we came here. We visited a church in Tulsa, and uh, I found them on a uh, predestination website, and uh, listened to uh, a couple of the guys that was in that group and seemed to be pretty strong on predestination and election. And they attended this church. So I thought, well, I'm going to go. That church I found, and the pastor of that church identified as Sovereign Grace uh, on this little website and everything. So I went. <clears throat> and, you know, we showed up and, and uh, you know, I visited a little bit the guys that I met from online. And, uh, well, anyway, I talked to the pastor and I said, so you preach sovereign grace here, right? I mean, you're preaching it, right? 
And he says, well, yeah, I, I believe in sovereign grace and I preach it, but I just don't come out right forward with everything because a lot of these people here don't know what we're talking about. And so we preach uh, the gospel, but all the things that about predestination and election and some of these more stronger doctrinal things and stuff like that, we begin to teach as time progresses and as they become more acquainted with the scriptures and things like that. And uh, I said, all right, well, that kind of didn't work well with me to begin with. But he said, but listen, tonight I'm preaching the message tonight and it's going to be pretty straightforward, a sovereign grace message. So we sit there and we listen and listen. I couldn't find sovereign grace in anything that the guy said. I mean, there absolutely was nothing that had to do with sovereign grace. It was all decisional, conditional stuff that men has to do, that men must do. And so whenever it was all over, one of the guys came over and said, See there, I told you he preached sovereign grace pretty strong. And I thought to myself, man, there was no sovereign grace in 10 miles of this place. I mean, there was no sovereign grace in that. And, of course, I did. we didn't go back after that because if there's a guy that is claims to believe sovereign grace but preaches a gospel of yay and nay or wants to say, well, this is only for the more mature people. No, listen, the gospel is the gospel. And listen, if God has given people ears to hear it, they're going to hear it. If he's given them a heart to embrace it and love it, they're going to love it. If he hasn't, then they won't, and it will be a, you know, a hatred to them. It will be a, 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 a savor of death to them. But to those of us who have been given to know this and to love this, it is a savor of life. It's a savor of, of beautifulness. It's a sweet-smelling savor. And to me, that guy was preaching a gospel of yea and nay. You can take sovereign grace, at least sovereign grace. I believe it, but you might not. So I'm just going to preach to you what you want to hear. And when the time arises, then we'll get into those other things. That's not what Paul did. Paul's saying, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. And the reason I say that is because what's coming next. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timotheus, that's Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. What is he saying? When we came among you, we preached Christ and crucified. We didn't preach all these other things. We didn't preach this Christ and something. Christ and you. Christ and the law. Christ and your religion, Christ and your traditions. No, we preach Christ. Everything about salvation and the gospel that that brings forth the message of that salvation was embedded in Christ, was carried out by Christ, was being given glory to Christ. Everything was about Christ. And he says, in preaching Christ to you, we didn't say Christ is something to give or take, to accept or deny. See, the very fact that people are preaching that we can accept Jesus Christ or we can reject Jesus Christ, that's a yay and nay gospel. See, salvation actually has an effect, brethren. When Christ died on the cross, He saved His people. And every one of those people, the promises of that salvation are given to them. 
Every promise is given to them. Not just in the legal aspects, but in the experiential. Every promise is given to them. Therefore, His death was effectual. Not subjective. It was effectual. <laughs> it, was, it was effectual in the fact that everyone for whom He died receives every bit of the blessing that comes with it. Every bit of the experience that comes with it. Every bit of the whole of salvation comes to that person and is given to that person, not offered to that person, but is given to that person. That's why it's not a yea and nay. There is no accepting and rejecting. The only accepting and rejecting is on God's part. Does He accept us or reject us? Does God accept us or reject us? Well, if He does, it's not according to anything that we've done, good or bad, because the Bible says that it had nothing to do with whether or not the boys had done anything good or bad, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand. So God accepting us or rejecting us has nothing to do with your good deeds, your good works, your religiousness, your, your unworthiness. Your sinfulness doesn't keep God from accepting you. Just as much as your good deeds doesn't make God accept you. So, it has nothing to do with you at all. We are accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted on the basis of Christ Jesus and being in Christ Jesus. That's where the acceptance comes. So there is no such thing as a yay and nay gospel. If you have a gospel that is preaching accept or reject, if you're preaching a gospel of do this or let God do this or get up off your laurels and get after this or something that we have to advance. I hear people talking about we're out here to advance the kingdom of God. Listen, brother, we can no more advance the kingdom of God as that uh, flower pot out there. We cannot advance the kingdom of God. We are not advancing the kingdom of God. We are part of the plan of God in the advancement of His own kingdom. If you would, we are pawns on the chessboard of God. If you would, we are the puppets of God. But more biblically, if you would, we are the vessels that God, the potter, has made for His purpose. And each one, even among those of the honored vessels, not all vessels are made the same. Larry's made different than I'm made. I'm made different than Brother Mark's made. We are made different, and God's made us for different purposes. We may be vessels of honor, but even among the vessels of honor, there are different things. We have cups. We have plates. We have forks and spoons. We may be vessels of honor, but God has made even amongst the vessels of honor those that are different. Paul uses the illustration... Different body parts, eyes, nose, ears, mouth. We are all different, but members together. We are all part of God Christ, who is <coughs> our head. We are all part of of that uh, uh, that uh, union with Christ Jesus. <coughs> and because of that, brethren, every promise of God is not yea and nay. But look, what does it say? It says, verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen. It's always yea and amen in Christ Jesus. 
See, that's why we cannot mix the Gospels. That's why we don't mix with even other people that claim to be Baptist or that claim to be sovereign grace that yet still preach conditions. They may preach predestination and election of eternal salvation, but yet they say, well, everything though that happens in time, that's a synergistic work. That's something that has to take place between me and God. With the help of God, I am doing this. And that is accomplishing something on a conditional level here in time. That's a yay and a gospel. Whenever we preach, even when we preach the work of God working in us to work out our salvation, the, the central point, the central figure, the main aspect should never be your activity. It should always be Christ. We preach Christ. We don't preach today our ability, our admonishments, our exhortations. Today we preach our work. And then next Sunday we preach what Christ has done. No, brethren, in light of everything the Bible teaches us about admonitions and exhortations, we preach Christ. If Mike works out his salvation with fear and truth, which by the way, just a side note, which has really kind of been bothering me, when the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, does the Bible there define what that work is? Any thoughts about that, brother? Well, he works in us to will and do his own good pleasure, but the thing that I always think about that, what is that? It's Philippians 2, right? I'm getting off track. I'm getting sidelined here. But, Philippians 2, let me go through that. obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights of the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain, neither have labored in vain. I don't see anything there that defines what that work is. <clears throat> the Bible says that that God has before ordained works that we should walk in them, but it never defines exactly those works. Everything in Ephesians chapter 1 that it says that has been given to us is something that is a spiritual thing. Therefore, I believe that the works that are involved there are spiritual works. Not physical, not fleshly works, but spiritual works that God works in us. So, to will and to do His good pleasure, if I'm going to do, that, that involves action, right? To do involves action. And to do involves 
the will to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it, right? I mean, uh, if I do anything, it's because I willed to do it. Well, that all comes by God. That's a work of God in me that God does. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, not yea and amen. The promise of God that He will work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. The promise of God that all the works that He has ordained for you, you shall walk in are yea and amen in Christ. Not yea and nay. These guys in here that are saying that we're so against the law that we don't do anything, that we just mystically wait for God to motivate us to do something. Okay? Well, brethren, it says here, all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen in Him. It's not yea and nay. Doing the works of God is not a yes or no thing. Doing the works that God has ordained for us is not a yea or nay event. It is a yea and amen in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to perform 83% of the work that God ordained for me when I get to heaven. He said, well, you missed out on 17% there, brother. If you would have just got up and quit waiting on the Spirit and you had the Bible in front of you, you knew what to do, you should have got after and doing. We would have caught up with you afterwards. No, that ain't what happens. God is never catching up with us who are taking the unction to do something because we've read it in the Scripture. No, everything we read in the Scripture, if we have been given of God to do it, it was because God caused us to do it. And that was a promise of God that He would work in us to will and to do. And that is also the accomplishment of the promise that we would walk in every work that God has ordained for us to do because that work is not a yea and nay promise. It's a yea and amen promise. So does every child of grace accomplish everything that God has for them to do? Absolutely they do. And every downfall and failure and sin and and shortcoming that they have, guess what? That's also ordained of God, that they walk in that as well. Was it not God's ordaining of Job to walk in his ineptness? He started off great, didn't he? Hey, the Lord take it, the Lord, the Lord give it, the Lord take it. All these things, I've seen that the Lord has done these things, and the Lord said, hey, he's he was right in everything that he said. He didn't sin in accusing God. You know, he rightly said this is God's hand, right? Job had great faith. He said, whenever God did all that stuff, he tore his clothes and he fell down and he worshiped him. I can't even do that a lot of times whenever the Lord does something that I don't like. Do I fall down on my face and worship him? Not, not most of the time. But Job fell down and worshiped him. But the more the Lord pressed upon him, the more that the thoughts begin to go through Job's head. He's like, you know what? I really don't deserve this. I really am unworthy of this. And Job all of a sudden quit walking in the narrow way and began to walk that broad way. Job quit letting go of that trust in God and began to trust in his own self and said, hey, if I could get in front of God right now, I'd plead my case and he would hear me and he would agree that I am not deserving of all this stuff. 
Oh, Job's pride got him, didn't it? Well, that's the problem with a lot of the lawmongers. Their pride gets them. They think if they're sitting too long and not actively doing something, then God's kingdom is not being advanced. That's pride. They think that if they're not doing everything that the Bible tells them that they ought to do, that somehow God's kingdom is not going to be advanced. Now, there's nothing wrong with if God moves you to do something, to do it. But, brethren, listen, nothing's being advanced or retracted because of what's going on in the overall scheme of things. Are you in sin? Maybe so. Did God ordain that as well? A lot of people are going to shoot me for saying it, but yes, that too was ordained. Was Job not ordained to come to this place where he said, I don't deserve this, and privately stood up with his fist to God's face and said, give me counsel before you, so I might plead my case. What happened whenever God did come and give audience to Job? Job realized quick, very quick, I repent in dust and ashes. I speak those things that I don't know anything about. Brother, there's a lot of people out here that are preaching a gospel that they don't have anything that they know anything about. They're preaching a gospel of yay and nay. They're preaching a gospel of law and grace. They're preaching this whole thing of something of a duty and a something of, of a condition or something that we must do and that we only can do it if we do to get up and go. But brother, I'm telling you, the promise is effectual just as much as the death and the life of Christ was effectual for us. That life in us and that work of God in us is as much effectual to carry out all the things that God has ordained for us than it was for that legal part of it. If God is going to do it, He's going to do it. If He's not going to do it, we're not going to do it. And that is not being lackadaisical. That is not being complacent. That is placing the focus where it should be. If I am to be obedient to God, if I am to be following after God, if I am to be servant of God, if I am to do this or that or whatever else, it is beholden to God to give me the necessary mind to do it, heart to do it, and action to accomplish the things that He's called for me to do. Paul says, For all the promises of God in Him are yea and in Him. Amen unto the get-up-and-go solidarity of the man who did it, right? See, if we say that we just don't wait on God and we just got to get up and follow the admonitions of Scripture and do what they tell us to do, then all the glory goes to us. But those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And it says, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Listen, those who are waiting on the Lord are the ones who are mounting up with wings as eagles. The ones who are waiting upon the Lord are the ones who are being renewed. Those who are waiting upon the Lord are the ones who are looking to Christ. Lord, if it ain't you, I can't do it. That's what Paul meant when he said, I will not lean on my own arm of flesh. He said, I know that if I lean on my own arm of flesh, I'm going to go back to Saul of Tarsus. 
I'm going to go back to trying to get God's kingdom advanced by doing what I think is right. By doing what I think needs to be done. See, Saul was zealous for God, wasn't he? He went out there and he did the church, he did all those things. And he really thought he was advancing God's kingdom by doing all those things. Until God showed him. That's not, that's not advancing my kingdom. Matter of fact, you're kicking against the pricks. You're persecuting me. And is that not what the Scripture says that whenever we try to keep the law and we preach that others should keep the law and that we seek for righteousness, acceptance, or preservation by keeping the law that Christ died in vain? We might not be persecuting physically, but brethren, we can surely persecute Christ verbally whenever we preach that He said it's finished and now the other side of our mouth said you got to do. We can verbally persecute Christ by saying He is sovereign over all things over here, you got to get up and figure it all out and do it. We can verbally persecute Christ by saying it's all of sovereign grace. And over here says it's all by conditions. It's a yea and nay gospel. And Christ is not yea and nay, and neither is His gospel. It says, verse 21, Now He which establisheth us with you in Christ, the one who has placed us with you in Christ, the one who has established our union, established our relationship, established our um, uh, inheritance, our, our, our relationship to God as being children of God, the one who has given us um, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for here, but uh, the one who has established us in this setting with you in Christ to be one of the recipients of these promises that it says, for all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen. The one who establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. See, the one who establishes us in the faith, the one who establishes us in the kingdom, the one who establishes us from the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. The one who establishes us in the work. The one who establishes us in the perseverance. Fill in the blank. The only one who establishes us, who stabilizes (laughs) us, who places us, causes us to be firm, is God. If I'm to be firm in the faith, it's God that planted me there. If I'm to be established in the work that God's called me to do, it's because God has put me there. That word anointed there has reference to the oil that they used to anoint the priest and the things of the tabernacle. That oil in Scripture always represents, that anointing, that that oil always represents uh, grace. 
always represents grace. God has established or established us with you and has given us grace, covered us in grace, overwhelmed us with grace. But here's the thing. How do we know? I preached a message on this several years ago, somewhat to this kind of point. How do we know that the works that we are doing are the works of God or the works of my flesh? How do you know that? If I'm doing all these admonitions that are things that I do outwardly, how do I know that those works that I'm doing are the works of God or if it's my flesh mimicking, parroting religious activity? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know those things. So what do I do? I trust that God is accomplishing all of His purposes in me. I trust that He is working in me to will and to do. I trust that He is performing every good thing that He has ordained that I should walk in. I just trust that. Whether it looks like it or not, I'm trusting that God is doing His work as He has ordained, as He has purposed, as He has ordained, predestinated, and as He has promised to do. And how has He promised to do it? With a yea and nay or with a yea and amen? He's promised to do it with a yea and amen. And so here we see He established us in Christ. He has given us grace or has anointed us. And look in verse 22. He has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now what does it mean that He has sealed us? Well, that word sealed can mean several things in Scripture. And sometimes they can mean multiple things, have multiple meanings within the Scripture itself, the verse itself. But the word sealed, it can it can mean uh, preservation. <clears throat> you know, we have a little uh, doohickey in the kitchen that you can take some food, put it in a plastic bag, and stick it on this thing, and you'll suck out all the air and seal it up, and it, it seals it. And it preserves it, keeps it from going bad. Right? Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit is given to preserve us, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us to preserve us, to keep us from falling. Isn't that what isn't wasn't that a promise that God made unto us that I will keep you from falling? He did say that. Am I ever going to fall? Well, what about whenever I sin? I I fell there. Now, the Holy Spirit said He's going to keep us from falling. <clears throat> We're going to do all the works that God has ordained for us to do. No more, no less, right? He's going to keep us from falling. We're going to accomplish everything that God's called us to do. Accomplish <coughs> everything that God intends and His purpose for us. And I know I'm saying that over and over, but I'm hoping that we are understanding that. Hoping that the Spirit gives us to experience that, believe that, to cherish that, to see that it is truly God who works in us. It's truly Christ who is at the center of everything. It's truly Christ who we're trying to exalt not our lackadaisical, you know, giving us the the uh, uh, um, license to just do nothing. That's not the purpose of this teaching. It's not the purpose of my stand on that. That's not the purpose why I feel this way. I feel this way because I know, like Larry said, 
I know that I ain't going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to accomplish it. I am unworthy. I am unable. And listen, I know myself. I, I, I like to procrastinate. I like to put things off as long as I can. I don't like to do a lot of stuff. I'm, again, like I said, love sitting in my ways and, and, and in my routine. And, and if it's left to me, I am not going to do much. I'm going to do as little as I can. Right? And if we're honest, everybody to some degree or another is like that. Some people like to do more things than others. On those things, you know what? I got a lot of get up and go. If it's something that I want to do and like to do, guess what? I got a lot of gumption to get up and do it. But if it's something that I like to do or want to do, I don't have a lot of gumption to do that. Well, the thing is, is when it comes to the purposes of God and the conforming of His people to Christ, it doesn't matter whether I have a lot of get up and go or not. Because it is God who works in me. And his promises are not yea and nay, it's yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And he has promised to preserve me, to keep me. He has promised to keep me in the faith. He's promised to keep me from falling. And he has promised to enable me, to anoint me unto every good work. Look, he says, who hath also sealed us, that word sealed, so can mean preservation, but that word sealed also means a confirmation. That word sealed is also a confirmation, and it can be looked at in two different ways. To be confirmed can be two different things. One can be confirmed as a surety. Okay? We've talked about this before. If somebody goes in and, like, I'm going to, going to buy a car, and I go in and I put a down payment on that car... <coughs> That down payment is earnest. It's a down payment. It's telling the guy lending me the money, here's a down payment, that's the promise that there will be more to come and I will fulfill and pay off everything that I've said that I would pay. It's a down payment. (coughs) Okay, so I am confirming that that is going to be given in full. Whenever God gives us the Holy Spirit, that is a confirmation that there is more to come. It's not just the inner man that you're going to be receiving, but there's going to come a time where this outer flesh is going to be put away and there will be a new body that is not plagued with sin, that is not plagued with sickness, that is not plagued with death. That body and that inner man are going to be one and that is going to be complete and total and new and without sin. See, it's a down payment of the full inheritance. It's a down payment of that. God has given us His Spirit as a confirming that I'm going to give you every promise that I've given to you. And I'm God and I cannot lie. Matter of fact, remember, but as God is true, and I believe He is, and He cannot lie, He swore by an oath by Himself. He's given us these promises. And the promises to work in me to perform all things for me, to do the work in me, and to cause me to walk in His statutes, that's a promise of His, just as much as any other promise. So He's given that the Holy Spirit as a confirmation that that promise is going to be carried out. How is it going to be carried out? Because He's given us the Spirit, and the Spirit that's the one in us, that's doing that work. 
He's the one that's teaching us, leading us into the truth, understanding the Word of God, understanding the admonishments, giving us the unction to follow those, doing those things. But that word sealed as it pertains to a confirmation can also be the symbol of, in the old times, they used to have these rings, a signet ring. And the king would write a letter or he would give some sort of decree or he would do something and he would fold that thing up and they'd drop some wax on there and he'd put his signet stamp on that thing and it shows that what has been said in this is true. It came from my own hand and this seal verifies or confirms the validity of everything that's in here. So whenever that messenger took that and showed that and those people seen, hey, there's the, there's the, the signet ring or the, the seal of the king is on there. So we know that whatever's inside this thing couldn't have come from anybody else because the king is the only one that has that ring to seal that thing. The Holy Spirit is given to us, brethren, as a confirmation that we not only belong to Christ, but that everything that He has promised in it is true to us. See, the Holy Spirit coming to us comes to us, as the Bible says, <clears throat> hope I don't mis, uh, misquote this, but the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His. The Spirit comes and bears record that we are His. He confirms to us that these promises are ours because we're His. See, the inheritance only is to His children. So we have to be we have to be confirmed that we are His children. And once we're confirmed that we are His children, then we know by law that everything that the Father promises to the child, the child will receive. So I have to be confirmed that I'm His child. Well, it's not by confirmation of the outward things that I do. I mean, the Bible doesn't teach that we're confirmed by outward appearances that we are His children. Now the Bible does say that others will know that we are His by the love for the brethren and the love for the Lord. But that is not how the child of grace receives confirmation that we are His. We never find assurance or confidence in outward things. It only comes by an inward grace of the Holy Spirit who confirms that we are His. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His. And if we are His, then we are heirs to all of the inheritance and the promises of God. And all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if I'm a child of God, and the Holy Spirit confirms in my heart that I am His then I have all confidence that everything that God has promised as it pertains to me, His child, is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Not yea and amen in Michael Smith, but yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the promises to be fulfilled, the promises to be carried out, the promises that are going to come to pass are all because of Christ Jesus whether it was His legal work or the experiential work in me. It's all Christ Jesus and every promise will be fulfilled. 
Holy Spirit confirms that to me. That's why we have rest. That's why Christ gives us rest. The Holy Spirit comes, and whenever the Holy Spirit comes, He clears our consciousness of our inability to keep the law. He clears our consciousness of our duty to the law that only condemns us. He clears our consciousness that we're not doing enough for God. He clears our consciousness of that because we know it is God who works in us to will them to do. So everything that I am doing, I am doing according to God's will. I am doing according to God's purpose. I am walking in the path and the statutes that God has ordained for me to walk in. And that rest comes in knowing that it is truly about Jesus Christ from first to last. And He is my substitute. He is my surety. He is the one that is in complete and total, not only control, but He is the one who is in view of everything of my salvation. Therefore, it doesn't reside in me to do anything. That's not lascivishness. That is not antinomian. That is placing Christ at the center of even the very experiential walk that we are walking in. That's why it says, For all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen in Him, unto the glory of God by us. See, we're not giving God glory whenever we're preaching that we have to get up and do. Don't wait on God. He's giving you His Word just to go out and do it. That's not giving God glory. Look at verse 23. Moreover, I call God for record upon my... Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 22. Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He's given us the earnest, the down payment, the promise of more to come. Brethren, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but whenever I read these things in Scripture, it puts to light a lot of the things that sometimes cause me to want to uh, get up and get after it for God in my own strength. But even more so, those many, 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 many times where I'm sitting and in my mind and in my thoughts and in my heart I'm thinking, and I've completely failed. I've completely shot it. I, I've completely... <coughs> everything's a shambles because I just cannot get up and go do something. I can't go do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm a failure at this. I'm a failure at that. Listen... There is so much admonitions of Scripture. I mean, for every Christian, there is admonitions. But especially if one is to be uh, uh, one that pastors are to preach, whenever he's standing up and saying, hey, this is what the Lord says. I don't know if you ever thought of that, brother, whenever you started talking on YouTube or something like that, to start telling people about... Listen, man, there's a lot of fear and trepidation there. The Bible says, man, those guys that come up here, I'm not putting myself above anybody, but I'm just saying, listen, there's a lot of times in our minds we're wondering, are we causing a lot more havoc than we are help? But brethren, when we see verses like this, whenever we realize that it is all Christ and is all ordained of God and predestinated, I think that's why predestination is such a beautiful thing. That's why the 
term irresistible grace, which I once hated, such a wonderful thing. That's why whenever we look at God preserving us and by His providence keeping us and working us, you know, that is such a comfort. It's a comfort to us. It's a comfort to me, at least, I'll say. It's a comfort. There's six verses that I want to read that just confirms everything that you said, and that's of course in Ephesians 1, verses 8 through 14. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on, even in him, in, on earth even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. Amen. I heard you said in a nutshell everything. <laughs> I tried to say in all this time all wrapped up right there in those six verses and notice if you would all the way down through there even going back further into verses uh, starting verses 3 and 4 it's you know it's overwhelming overwhelmingly Christ centric it's overwhelmingly God centric right Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. You see how it's all about him? It's all about his doing, his work, his purpose, his doing. Everything's about him. And listen, all of that precedes chapter 2 that everybody wants to immediately run to on the get up and go. <coughs> all of that is preceding those are the works that are, that God is doing, and I believe those are the works <laughs> that chapter 2 is talking about. I believe that, that the works that God is doing is the works in us. <clears throat> the work of conforming us. The work of growing us in the grace and knowledge of God. The, the work of causing us to desire the things of God. The admonitions of Scripture, if you would. He gives us those desires. That's Him working in us. And as Larry said, this thing comes having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He had purposed in Himself. Everything that's being carried out is according to that right there. He's purposed it in Himself. And He will do all that He has purposed according to Scripture. And so, to me, 
those are the overarching terms of Scripture and they supersede everything else underneath it. That's why I say any of the imperatives that are in Scripture always has to be in view of that very one thing. That is God who is doing the work. That is God who is doing the actions. God is the the one who is orchestrating everything that is going on. Anybody else got anything or anything else you want to add? Questions? Rebukes? Correction? Well, brother, I pray that that was a, uh, uh, a comfort to you like it was to me. Uh, just to hear those things that all things pertaining to the gospel are yea, that is affirmative, yes, and amen, sure. That word amen means so be it. We've heard that before. But that word amen means firm or secure. All the promises are yes and secure or, or, or sure. In Christ Jesus. So, uh, uh, what a beautiful promise that we have. Alright, anybody got anything? Brothers? Alright. Lord, we thank you once again for this day, and we thank you for the time that we've had together. We thank you for the Word of God before us, and we thank you for the Christ that is found in this Word. While we truly cherish this Word that's been given to us, we know that everything that's in this is about Him, that He is in the embodiment of the Word of God. And so, Father, we just thank You so much that we have the opportunity this morning by Your grace together and to proclaim His name, to proclaim His work. Lord, we truly do not desire uh, in the flesh any accommodations. We don't desire any kind of accolades or merits Father, we truly preach these things because we know that Christ is at the center of all things and that He is the one to not only receive that glory, but Lord, the ones who we want to give that glory to. We know that we merit nothing. We know that we in our flesh can do nothing. And therefore, we'll never merit anything. Therefore, our only hope is Christ Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith the one who has been given to us to lead us into all truth, the one who has been given to us uh, to guide us in all the things of God, to give us comfort. He said that He would come back as our comforter and give us comfort. Our Father, Lord, we are so grateful to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our surety. Father, Lord, I pray that You have comforted Your people today. We pray, Lord, this time of worship has been uh, in spirit and in truth you have led us and Lord we just ask that now that you be with us as we leave this place that these very things that you've given to us in this word might bring comfort to us as we go out into this world and that is often are attacked by Satan by attacked by the world system and even attacked by sometimes our own fleshly conscience that uh Desires to put us back under the law, to bring us into servitude uh, of a works-based system. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to give us a clear conscience to be able to walk in the love and the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. 
<coughs> and Lord, we trust that you will do all things in us and through us as you desire, and that not one thing will be left undone. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.